Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together, and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, are we in the middle of a cultural revolution with conversations? Conversations around the spectrum of gender and sexual identities more common where people fall on the gender continuum seems unlimited and yet my next guest admits she grew hesitant when her own daughter at age of six declared herself a tomboy was this accurate was this term outdated was it time to retire a descriptive word of girl that had the word boy in it and so much history both positive and negative in an era where some are throwing elaborate gender reveal parties and others are embracing they them pronouns it's a good time to find out where tomboys fit into our changing understanding of gender lisa davis is an essayist novelist and journalist who has written for major publications such as the new york times wall street journal guardian time yahoo and salon among many others she lives with her family in New York. Davis continues to write for major publications such as the New York Times and Wall Street Journal, Women's Day, Bustle, Salon, Yahoo, Time Out, and more. And her articles often open the door to both debate and celebration. Most recently, in December 2018, another article she wrote for the New York Times, Like Tomboys and Hate Girly Girls? That's sexist, went viral and sparked almost 400 comments. This is a really interesting topic to discuss. So welcome, Lisa, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm thrilled to have you. Before we jump into all the good meat, for those who haven't had the opportunity to meet you or read your book or your articles, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you so interested in the topic of tomboys and girls who dare to be different? Oh man, what gets me up in the morning is perimenopausal insomnia <laughs> and my <laughs> and that I can't wait to play the New York Times spelling bee game. Mm. Um, revealing my super nerddom. I love it. And <laughs> so excited to hear this. And <laughs> what got me into the topic of tomboys was both having a child who did not comply with gender norms and when kids were really starting to segregate by sex. At age three in preschool, my kid was not doing what all the other girls were doing. That was the beginning of it. And um, then I wrote about it, which is what I, how I process things. Mm -hmm. um, and what I wrote for the Times in 2017, which was given the headline, my daughter is not transgender, she's a tomboy, um, sparked a, such a huge response it went on for an entire week mm. of debate and um, a combination of people being very excited and feeling seen and heard mm. and other people feeling threatened mm -hmm. um, and insulted. 
Um, so that's when I realized that uh, as much as I thought I knew about gender and about tomboys who were a big part of my youth but had kind of disappeared, um, that I had a, a ton to learn. Mm. Well, I'm really excited to launch into this. So let's start with a quick view of the landscape and perhaps a loaded question at the same time. What does it mean to be a tomboy in 2020, in the next couple of years? Well, very few people use the term now. And somewhat fascinatingly, it's only really used in fashion for a certain kind of sexy masculine adult woman. And then it refers to a basically a sexuality in lots of Asia, lots of parts of Asia, hmm. um, that sometimes is a butch lesbian, and sometimes is a trans man. The fuzziness of those boundaries exists there too. And, um, and what I find is that parents of girls like mine would either say, um, how dare you call my daughter a tomboy, it's so sexist, she's a girl, or they would use the term gender nonconforming. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of confusion around that word, which I write about in the, the book, around that term. Because is that an identity or is it just describing someone who bucks gender norms? Um, so I feel like nobody likes the term tomboy. And a lot of times people think when a kid is not adhering to gender norms that it's about identity or they think it's a problem when in fact my argument in the book is that gender nonconformity is actually incredibly psychologically healthy for kids. Mm. Why don't you expand on that? How is it psychologically healthy for somebody to be bucking the norms and embracing a wider view of what gender looks like today? Well, there's a lot of research about what used to be called psychological androgyny, um, a, a term coined, I think, in the 70s and has fallen out of favor. But it basically describes a person who has personality traits that are marked as culturally masculine or feminine. And for decades, research shows that people like this are more creative. I mean, if you think of the great rock stars of Prince and David Bowie mm-hmm. and I don't know, even Chrissy Hines and Patti Smith, um, you know, they're androgynous. And um, new research that just came out last month shows that kids who are don't conform to gender norms do better academically. Um, hmm. there, there are a whole host of ways that such kids are more successful. I think what people don't realize is that our range of normal for boys and girls has gotten narrower since the late 1980s, that we gender more of childhood, we gender more clothes, toys, colors, and personality traits. Um, and, and, and so we think that kids have this really expansive new life, but actually their idea of what boy stuff and girl stuff is, it has gotten narrower and narrower. Therefore, if you're being gender conforming, as in, you know, conforming to these norms, you're really cut off from so much of what it is to be human. Mm-hmm. And so these other kids who are straddling the pink-blue divide are having access to more toys, more games, more different kinds of friends. Mm. They're just 
having access to to more of life, helping them develop into more well-rounded human beings. And this makes sense to me. I mean, really, it gives you all the possibilities. And the more that we wind up labeling, the more we wind up segmenting, and then you have stiffer limits of where you can go. When we open things up, obviously, people can go wherever they like and whatever the norm is for them or whatever feels good for them is where they go. Uh, I absolutely love the story of Katherine Hepburn in your book. As uh, when I was growing up, I was an enormous Katherine Hepburn fan, even to the point that when my parents asked me one year what I wanted for the holidays, I told them that I, I didn't want presents. I just wanted to meet Katherine Hepburn. And for for me, she was like, just, yeah, it didn't happen that way. But um, she was like the epitome of confidence for me. And I mean, I was so into the movies and old time movies. I just loved it all. And and she was, you know, she was just this incredibly confident person. And I was entering my tween years. So, you know, obviously not as not as confident in my own skin. And in your book, you highlight that she was a tomboy as a child. She grew up to sort of notably wear pants. Without, everybody talked about that and even referred to herself as Jimmy, which I actually did not know. The quote that struck me was, like many childhood tomboys, she didn't feel beholden to gender roles that trap so many people and often needle boy tomboys into conforming once they hit puberty. I have lived as a woman. I have lived as a man, she told Barbara Walters in 1981. I've just done what I damn well wanted to. But many tomboys don't feel the equality or feel that they can live in whatever way they damn well want to, like she quotes. So where are all these pressures coming from? And and how can we mitigate these pressures for those girls in our lives that would love to live as Catherine did? Yeah, it's a great question because the pressures are now so woven into kids' material worlds mm. that I think adults don't even see them. Mm-hmm. They don't they may vaguely, you know, if you were raised in the 70s and early 80s, you may vaguely recall that not everything was divided into pink and blue mm-hmm. and, oh, oh yeah. I just had a big wheel and it was like yellow and orange, huh? Yes, I did. did Yes, I had a red bike and a big wheel and everybody used the same one. It was passed down from general, you know, from like brother to sister without any even thought, not even a thought. Yes. And that needed to be interrupted when the birth rate declined and we went into recession and we needed to sell more stuff. So Mm -hmm. a great way to prevent hand-me-downs is to say that boys and girls can't share stuff. I loved that, by the way, in your book that you said that, because I was like, ah, like that makes complete sense. I knew that they needed to, they needed people to buy more. I mean, I just knew that it was like an advertising thing, but I didn't realize its relationship to the birth rate and this lack of hand-me-down idea. Like, we don't want that. That was really interesting. Right. And it, and it, and it goes from, you know, a, a smart, a savvy way to sell stuff in the beginning to how it is now where kids' worlds are totally organized that way. Mm-hmm. And I have that story in the in the book of buying my kids Kindles. Mm-hmm. And then it as you sign them up, it makes you select a gender, which we can talk about why we would use the word gender, because you're they're really asking for your for your sex. Mm-hmm. But um 
Um, and then it and then it loads it up with a completely different set of apps and TV shows. Fascinating. And mm -hmm. your the whole world, digital world that a child is introduced to, it is decided by what gender they select. So mm -hmm. it goes. Mm -hmm. It's and and those apps and toys and shows promote you know different skill sets and different personality traits and, and and so it's really insidious now how gender is manufactured and sold and and again how it also narrows our range of normal for boys and girls and so because of how kids learn about gender and because especially when they when they're three years old and they go to preschool they're really they really don't understand the difference between sex their bodies and gender stereotypes and they're very intent on mastering those mm. and policing each other mm. um, so the only kids who are who are not going to conform are those who are for whatever reason deeply driven not to mm -hmm. and again again the research shows this is the best thing is is not to conform to gender norms so what we can do as a society is to try to relax gender norms and not divide so much not not you know not divide what apps they have access mm -hmm. to because of their bodies but mm -hmm. i I, I think we're in such an interesting time where on the one hand people think, well, you log on to Facebook and you can choose 72 gender identities, but then you look at childhood and you think, oh man, everything is divided that way. And what are the psychological implications of that? Right. Just not right. being studied very much. Right. I mean, it's, it's the, uh, the aisles in, in the toy store. It's, it's, you know, I, I, when I'm talking about this, in uh, some of my presentations, and I know that you you talk a little bit about this, obviously in the book as well, like how much we separate things. Uh, I was talking about these magnets that people could use, you know, on their refrigerator, and uh, you know, they're, they're sort of like fun mad magnets that are supposed to be able to describe you. There were pink ones for girls and blue ones for boys, and you know, the pink ones were all like tiara and like you know, ice cream. And, and then the boys, like they had like, you know, climbing and running. Yeah. And I was like, and I, I just remember, like, I look at the audience and I'm like, we really don't even get a verb. Like we just yeah. are things they, the yeah. boys get all the good verbs yeah. and we get, we get nothing, which is really important to know because so much of what is relayed to girls is like, sit and look pretty yeah. And, you know, the boys, you know, are, are, it is about action. Even when I, in my, one of my qualifying papers for my PhD was looking at some of these, these types of factors and seeing how at the time it was on the web. So like, you know, 2004, I'm talking about like 2002 to 2003, 2004, where, you know, you're looking at the pictures people are putting up and I'm trying to say, look, if you're advertising an activity for kids and you have the the girls all just sitting and looking pretty and the boys being the ones that are active that's really saying something to you know what's happening in your business even if that's not accurately what's happening in your business yeah. um you know you so so it, it's it's it is a really big problem 
uh, because it, it, it speaks for the girls before they can even speak for themselves or vice versa, obviously. The boys too, you know, it's telling the boys how they're supposed to be. Maybe they don't like climbing. You know, maybe they don't want to get, you know, run, run. And they would like to, you know, do some more of the dress up or eat an ice cream cone. Now all of a sudden an ice cream cone is, is too right. girly. It's ridiculous. Right. Yeah. And what's even more confusing about that to people is how they come to believe that that is biological and that's mm-hmm. how boys are and that's how girls are when we've never really given them a chance to explore. And all of the discussions around toxic masculinity really stem from presenting such a narrow range of normal to boys that they can't cry, that they can't wear a whole bunch of colors in the rainbow, Mm -hmm. um, that they can't experiment, that they can't like things that are pretty, that uh, they can't play with girls. Um, And at the same time, what girls learn is that anything that is marked as feminine, no matter how arbitrary it is, color pink, case in point, is less than and that, you know, girly is an insult, which if you think about that, it's it's truly horrible mm-hmm. that 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 that's an insult. And girls um, girls pick that up pretty early. And even though they may spend the years between three and six in an intense princess phase trying to perfect all of the stereotypes um, about femininity and to prove their membership in the girl tribe, um, and, and some actually trans girls will follow the same trajectory, although they won't follow the second part of it, which is that um, a lot of cisgender girls, 70 something percent, when they understand gender constancy, that is when they understand that your membership in the group is about your body and, and not stereotypes, they start saying, I hate dresses, I hate pink, I hate princesses. Uh, I I watch my daughter and her friends do this on cue Mm. with the research. And that's really the time that they're realizing that femininity is looked down on, whatever it is. Mm. And they go through a kind of tomboyish phase where they want to wear pants. Oh, yes, I did that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, this, this idea that something is good or bad because it is associated with a certain sex group is, is just kind of a, a ridiculous idea. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really want parents to know where they got the, their ideas of what's normal for boys and girls, where it comes from, and that we, we don't have to participate in it. Right. But you had also mentioned in your book that, you know, there's gender constancy and, you know, a, a man putting on makeup or a dress can still be a man. A girl playing with trucks can still be a girl. Uh, girls learn that they can be flexible without surrendering that membership to that girl tribe. And yet, for some reason, the opposite doesn't seem to be true. Right. So that boys you know, don't go through this change, you know, that they're, they, they become more rigid. They don't become, you know, they're not embracing the opposite side. It's girls who like right. start to realize, all right, well, femininity is looked down upon. I'm going to start, you know, doing more things that are perhaps more masculine. It's like not the other way around. So why are girls feeling more comfortable entering that boy territory, but not the opposite? knowing that 
as you talk about this sort of narrowing of normal so that the world of, you know, gender reveal parties and the landscape of pink and blue, you know, what can we do about this as parents to support both boys and girls who want this less rigid experience of what normal means? Yeah, there are there are a couple things we can do. There, there are things we can do at the personal level, and then there are things we can work toward at the cultural level. And so, yes, boys don't go through the through what's called the pink frilly dress to tomboy phase or the opposite version of it mm-hmm. because they have learned that you know, everything girly is bad. And they feel even more pressure to kind of defend their territory in the boy category. And again, that's this hyper gendered childhood is is really how we end up with with a kind of crisis around toxic masculinity, and how we end up with low self esteem and eating disorders for girls. And so we interrupting that conversation and encouraging gender nonconformity is important. Important, but the the way I think we can do it is by um, refusing to gender their personality traits, their material goods, um, their activities. You know, I feel I'm somewhat in the cons- at, at this point. I'm kind of conservative because I'm like. I'm not even talking about their bodies, right? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not saying like we have to say that they're not in these sex categories. I'm simply saying get rid of the idea that there is girl stuff and boy stuff mm-hmm. from, from toys to personality traits, that girls are like this and boys like this, that, that, that trucks are for boys mm-hmm. and dresses are for girls mm-hmm. and let them experiment. And the way to interrupt that is insisting on it in your house mm-hmm. <laughs> And, and also demanding it from the culture. So there are advocacy groups that um, pressured the International Toy Association to stop having boy toy of the year and girl toy of oh, the year. Yes. Um, it was parental pressure that got Target to stop having boy and girl toy aisles. Right. Um, I think Amazon stopped doing that. Um, in terms of shopping for toys, I noticed when I recently went to the Disney site, you can still search by boy and girl, but it actually puts everything in there, mm-hmm. no matter how you search. Nice. I think that was their way of appeasing different camps. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, we, we, can, we can pressure our cultural institutions to change. You can ask your school to not divide kids by sex when they line them up you know, for recess or um, put them in, you know, have mixed sex groups. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are all kinds of ways from the, from the micro to the macro. Right. In terms of how we talk to kids about it, I would say that what I do is say to my kids, you were born with a certain sex, that is your body. And your body is not actually predictive of anything about who you will be. It doesn't tell me what kind of person you're going to love. It doesn't tell me what job you're going to do. It doesn't tell me what kind of personality you're going to have because I have one very sweet, quote unquote, masculine child and one hyper feminine child who will rip your face off. (laughs) Um, You know, it just... It's just your body, and it doesn't, like, forecast anything 
about the person you're going to be. I re- we need to decouple the idea that your body predicts much of anything about you. I love all of that. Thank you for really laying that on the table. I, I think that that is extremely helpful to hear and and piecing that apart. We've just been told for so long that this is the way it is. So this is what people believe. And yet that's just not the way it is. So uh, I, I love that you're saying that and providing the talking points so that we can have these important conversations with our kids. Once we give permission to our kids and say, we want you to be who you are, not who society tells you you have to be, that takes off so much pressure and it does allow them to become the healthiest expression of themselves. That way they aren't conforming and sort of cutting off their own arms so that they fit into whatever door they're supposed to fit into. They are able to be who they are. And what do you say then to the child who is expressing themselves as they are, but getting negative feedback from kids or kids' parents um, and being told that they're they're weird or wrong, um, maybe that their parents are wrong, and and how do we rectify that for them when they're you know in our own homes perhaps it's a safe haven but in the outside world it's pretty ugly. Yeah, and and this goes back to your question about boys and their narrow range of normal. I've heard from so many parents of boys who like princess things and want to wear dresses, who wanted to wear cowgirl pajamas to pajama day or their pink sparkly backpack to the first day of kindergarten. And one of two things happens. Um, I mean, I'm, there are lots of places where the parents will say just no, but those aren't the parents I'm talking to. So the parents I'm talking to will either allow their kids to do it with a warning. Mm-hmm. Oh, you can wear these pajamas, but just so you know, everyone's going to make fun of you. Or they send them to school with the pink sparkly backpack and everyone makes fun of them and they come home and they never wear it again. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's, it's, I wrote this book about tomboys, but it ended up being so much about boys Mm -hmm. and making space for them. I don't know how much um, early educators learn about gender schema theory and about how kids develop ideas about gender and it's an implicit bias Um, and and very similar to how they learn about race they learn about gender and they just glom onto these gender stereotypes and they really police each other it's part of their gender development Mm -hmm. but if we have this wider range of normal if we stop saying this is a boy's toy or a girl's toy then there is way more room for ex- for exploration. And sometimes you, you know, I had to go to the school um, and, and ask, could you explain to these kindergartners that there are all kinds of ways for a girl to look and be? Mm-hmm. And they, you know, the teacher was wonderful and she had that talk with the kids mm-hmm. who were just couldn't understand that this child before them with short hair and sweatpants was a girl. It, could, mm-hmm. it, it just didn't compute to them. Right. It did not fit into their taxonomy. But at the same time, the parent coordinator said to me, you need to arm your child with some language 
Because if this is, if she continues to be like this, then the world isn't going to always bend to her. And she's got to bend the world herself a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so we gave her sentences she could say, like, girls look all, you know, all kinds of ways. Um, and that, that worked for us. But I really think um, if I had a boy who was being bullied, I would be one of those parents who marched down to the school and mm -hmm. said, like, how dare you? How ridiculous is it that a color belongs to one sex or another yes we have to we have to stop doing it so yes. if you have a kid who has natural in inclinations um you should facilitate them and it doesn't mean sending sending them off telling them with a warning and it doesn't mean sending them off without um responses it means talking to them about how people have these crazy ideas that we should divide all of the stuff of childhood into these two camps and how we're not going to do it. And we're in a position, whether we like it or not, to educate the rest of the world about it. Did you have any other other mantras or words that you provided for your, your child uh, aside from girls can look all different kinds of ways that you could share? I didn't have a lot of of mantras besides mm -hmm. that and your body doesn't predict anything mm -hmm. about what you'll who you are. Mm -hmm. um, and and part of that is because the landscape of gender and the language of gender has been evolving so rapidly as my child is growing, you know, mm -hmm. my older one is 11 now. Mm -hmm. It started 8 years ago there wasn't even a when i first wrote an essay about it there was almost like no discussions of trans kids in the media and we kind of went from very quickly from oh this we we hardly cisgender you know non-queer people might know hardly just hardly anything about that to if you say the wrong thing you're your head will be bitten off without kind of like, how do we learn? How do we learn to mm -hmm. say the right thing? And how do you know if a kid who's veering away from gender norms, if that's about identity or if that's just about behavior, right? There's so much confusion and yet there's also so much dogma and it's, it's very confusing. So the, I feel the most important thing for both parents and children is to understand that the way a child is um, when they're rejecting gender norms, so I'm not talking about kids who are very adamantly declaring an identity, mm -hmm. I am talking about behavior, that we don't need to come to any conclusions about who that child is going to be later. Mm -hmm. And I guess the one mantra I have, not for kids, but for parents is, you know, parents often write to me and say, my kid is gender nonconforming, I'm worried. Mm -hmm. And I cite all the research about how great it is to not conform to gender stereotypes and say, you've been given a gift because you don't have to spend all of your time undoing the culture's messages. Mm -hmm. So if you have a, a gender nonconforming child, if you have a, a child who is not doing what the other girls and boys are doing and you're facilitating that and kids are respecting it, you won. Mm. Celebrate. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. be happy. 
Yeah, I, I, I think that's great. And I, I was going to ask you some words of wisdom that you wanted to pass on to parents who are listening for that very thing. I, you know, you mentioned that, you know, you're not going to predict what your child is going to be when they grow up, but you do have a chapter that explores tomboys when they do grow up. And yeah. some of the talk is about how their expression of being tomboys as an adult means that they don't wind up dressing in sort of sexy ways and using their looks to get what they want. In another chapter, you talk about the link between a tomboy and being a lesbian, um, which we kind of just test, you know, touched on. But you, you actually say that the word is so enmeshed with lesbianism now that it's, you know, sort of come to define, and you were talking about this, this concept in Asia or trans man in Asia, what what would you say is the connection between tomboys and lesbianism, tomboys and trans boys, and tomboys and gender nonconforming so that we can kind of tease this out a little bit and know what it is, what we need to know, or if all of this is garbage and we just can put it to rest? <laughs> well, my the conclusion I came to was that there was one thing almost everybody I interviewed and surveyed had in common, and that was self-confidence. Mm. Whether that self-confidence came from being socialized with or sometimes as boys, um, or whether that self-confidence came from being comfortable around men, and um, I don't know. But I did find most people were very, very comfortable with themselves in a way that I have never achieved. I am, you know, pushing 50 and deeply insecure. I mean, is it even, is it, is it even necessary to be having all of this terminology? Is it helpful in any way to be teasing out all of this stuff? Uh, I, I, I'm just trying to even see if we're supposed to be embracing all of these different terms or just let people be who they are. Well, I'm in the, I'm in the let people be who they are camp, but I also don't have a gender dysphoric child who's mm-hmm. in distress. Mm-hmm. So I think that that if you if you have a child who who is really in distress, then obviously you need to tend to that. Yes. And if that distress is about gender, you know, then you can figure that out and and do whatever it is you you need to do. Mm-hmm. That's a very very small percentage of people. Mm-hmm. And the stuff I'm talking about about making more of the pink side and the blue side available to everybody mm-hmm. is it's often mistaken for an LGBTQ issue, but it's actually like a fully human issue that applies to all children. And and so you know, I think I have a sense of who my child is. Um, there is a connection between gender nonconformity and homosexuality. And there, and there is some kind of connection sometimes between childhood gender nonconformity and a trans identity, but not always. Mm. And, um, and I think a lot of times, especially we assume when we see a kid acting this way and we might have said, oh, this kid is a future lesbian. But now, because we have decided that that sex, gender, and sexuality are totally different, we think like, well, a a three-year-old doesn't have a sexuality, so it must be about gender. When actually those things are always enmeshed, they're impossible to fully disentangle from one another. And 
if you're planning to support your child, whatever their sexual orientation, whatever their gender identity, then it, especially for young children, you don't need to, to label anyone in a special way unless they need some kind of psychic relief. Mm-hmm. And I think there's real tension between should we widen the category of boy and girl that's gotten so artificially narrowed or should we make all of these other categories and then let people find their way into them? Mm. That's, you know, it's, I can't answer that question, but I, I don't know if young children, I, I just, I don't know what's best for young children other than what knowing that hi, the hypergendering of childhood is very bad for them. And whoever they are is okay as they are. Yes. I mean, the message that we want our kids to have is that their identity and who they are and their expression of themselves is all just fine. <laughs> Everybody's okay with it. They're If they're okay with it, then to move forward so that they can feel most comfortable and confident in their own skin. It's when we start to have judgments about their how they're expressing themselves and who they declare themselves to be, then we wind up finding a lot of trouble because they start to feel like they need to cram themselves into these categories and nothing is quite defining who they are. It doesn't quite feel right. And that can be not only uncomfortable, but unhealthy for a child, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think... You know, I keep repeating it, but I think our range of normal is is so artificially narrowed. And you know, I'm I'm from a family of kind of nonconformists and people um, misbehaving and not slotting neatly into you know corporate America or you know most most of I have three siblings and the two are artists. One is one is a very well behaved doctor and she's my favorite. <laughs> but you know, we're most of us have have not been successful at fitting into a kind of normal society mm-hmm. um, and I've and I've tried to find our place and make it work mm-hmm. and so I have a lot of models of that outside of gender but I also feel like you know as as a perimenopausal woman I'm well aware that my relationship to gender is constantly changing mm-hmm and that the way I feel about myself or even even the way that I feel comfortable dressing changes. And, um, you know, I started to, as I was writing this book, I started to feel like maybe I don't want to wear dresses anymore, although I'm wearing actually quite a frilly dress. <laughs> I'm going through my closet to see what am I, what am I keeping. But, I mean, we're, our gender norms for ourselves and our feelings about our bodies and masculinity and femininity, they just change so much over a lifetime. Yes. So if if we can prepare our kids for that, for the complexity of gender, and, and as adults, not be so obsessed with drawing a line between, oh my God, she doesn't want to play princess, or oh my God, he does. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? Mm-hmm. As I said before, just celebrate it. Right. It's a good thing your child is exploring and facilitating that 
um, supporting them in that, helping them build confidence around that, I think that really goes a long way. I think that goes a lot farther than, uh, let me give you a, a category that describes the reason you're not conforming to gender norms. Mm, good point. Okay. So give us your top tip. What do you want us to come away with after listening to this podcast or just knowing the information that you are relaying to us about tomboys, about girls and boys who, who buck the, the gender norms and who dare to be different? What would you like us to come away with? I would love for more parents and educators to understand children's gender development and, and, and to really help kids from a very young age feel free to access both sides of the pink-blue divide. I would love to see how our world changes if we do that. Mm. And for them to be um, feel less urgency about classification based on behavior mm -hmm. and to be, you know, I talk in the book about being comfortable, being uncomfortable, about embracing ambiguity and how hard that is for us as human beings. And ironically, you know, I wrote this book before there was a pandemic and all, all of a sudden we're all living that way where we can't make any plans, <laughs> can't have any predictions about the future. We don't know what's going to happen. Yes. It's horrible and it's uncomfortable. And then somewhere off in the distance, it's kind of liberating. Yeah. It forces you to live in the present. It forces you to reconstruct your normalcy. And, you know, that's what I really want. I want to ask people, where did your idea of normal come from? Mm -hmm. And do you need to not only subscribe to it, but reinforce it with your kids? Mm. That is very thought provoking. And it's, it's an important question to consider. Give us your resource of the week. Where do you want us to go to get more information about you, your book and the work you're doing? Well, in my ideal scenario, lots of people would buy the book from their local bookstores. Mm -hmm. I am not tired of talking about this at all yet. Ah! So, I, so I love doing book clubs and I love um, hearing from people and I love interacting with people um, and hearing what they've learned. Because there's, I think you look at the book and you think it's, a kind of like celebration and maybe a little stories of of girls who buck gender norms and then it turns out actually it's this book about capitalism and history and normalcy and psychology and um, so I just um, for me I, I poured my whole heart into this and learned so much and I just really want more people to know what I know now so we can talk about it together and make a plan for how to do things differently. Mm. Well, I'm excited about that. You know how I put out all kinds of memes with the great things that you're saying. You said a lot of really terrific things today, and I think people can share them and talk about them. And when we get onto Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, we can have some good conversations. I just want to thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your your passion and your work around this. It's been really interesting, and I think a lot of people got so much out of it. So thank you very much. Well, thank you so much, Robin. Thanks for the thoughtful questions and just the, the chance to talk about 
the stuff that I care about so much. I really appreciate it. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends, I know you have yours, so let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook, you can go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page, or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm also on Instagram, as I was just saying, under Dr. Robin Silverman. And please, if you love this podcast, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so other people can find out about this podcast. The more that you give feedback, the more exposure the podcast gets, the more exposure my guests get. get. So I, it's good for everybody. I want people to hear what Lisa has been talking about. She's been working so hard and uh, it would be so helpful. Keep those five-star reviews coming. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please go to drrobinsilverman.com. There's so many great podcasts up there. And the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storm and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. Perhaps you heard something today that struck a chord. Perhaps it may make you have a conversation with your child or do something a little differently. Maybe it will help you to stop categorizing your child or taking out the toys that are pink and blue and saying you can play with this or you can only play with that. Maybe it'll make a small change or a big change. And I think that's awesome. I see you and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.